welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. Mitch from Planet 5D joins me to discuss all kinds of things. We've got price increases, we've got new lenses, we've got adapters, all kinds of crazy stuff today. But first, Mitch, besides complaining, what have you been up to? I am not a complainer. Hey, I'm from Planet 5D. Sound Insert sound effects. They're Planet not working 5D. today. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Uh, I'm going to Indy this weekend to see a whole bunch of drum lines perform. It should be rather fun and take a whole lot of photos. That's what I'm doing. There's a lot of great stuff to to see in there. I'm actually shooting some um, product shots this weekend. And this week, actually, finally got a reason to use my tabletop uh, skateboard dolly. Uh, wow. I was assigned a bunch of, um, oddly enough, uh, coffee pots and utensils and a few other things that they just want those beautiful rotational shots of. And I've had this thing for probably five years, six years, and I've only used it three or four times. And now I'm going to be using it for two to three days straight. So that's kind of good that I'm actually going to get my value out of it. Uh, If you're wondering which one I'm using, I am using the Canova Skateboard Dolly Slider. That's about a $90-esque slider. And the nice thing about that particular tabletop dolly is that it has clickable adjustments for your degrees of rotation on both the front and back wheel i'll put that in the show notes very useful if you do that kind of thing but remember you need a really really wide surface so if you think you're going to do this on your kitchen counter good luck buddy because it takes a lot of rotational space to move a big freaking wheel dolly like that around well let me tell you the real product you need is a ditto gear spin 360 (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, wait a minute. Tell me. Tell it, me more. It basically looks like a, a, a phonograph turntable, right? So okay. it's just a a platform with a motor on it that will spin your product for you in a perfect 360 degrees. So you don't have to move your camera. Just put the product on there, and it spins. So I have one of those. Do you? Yes, not, not the ditto, ditto but I have. Right. Um, there's a, a version that will hold up to 15 pounds. It's for sale on uh, eBay. And uh, that one rotates backwards and forwards and has two speeds. And it's great if you want the camera to be stationary. The only problem is with the the kitchen thing that I'm doing, they want to kind of showcase the kitchen with Ah. the item floating inside. And I think they might have watched too many episodes of How Stuff Works, you know, because that's (laughs) the move of the background around. So they're like, I want the item to be stationary. And my first demonstration, I actually locked the camera to the product with a like a little arm and then held yeah. it out in front of the camera and then moved the camera around like this. And they were excited for a while, but then they got into like a committee meeting and determined that <laughs> that wasn't what the, the look they were going for. So now I'm going to be dollying around each of the products and that seems to be what will make them happy. Hopefully no minds <laughs> change. I guess they're paying me by the hour. So you do what you got to do. Yeah. On Amen. that note, I think it's probably time for the news. Time for the news. First up, we've got some price increases. If you live in Canada, things could get sad for you in the very, very near future. Now, ironically, this is going to happen on April 1st, which I thought, (laughs) wait a minute, is this an April (laughs) Fool's Day joke? But I'm not going to, I'm going to assume that it's not. Uh, Canon put out this letter to CPS customers, letting them know that in the in uh, as of April 1st, they're going to be increasing Canadian prices to more evenly match United States and other countries' prices. If you're not familiar with the 
Uh, Canadian dollar, it has dropped dramatically over the last uh, year or so compared to the American dollar, which was on parity about two years ago. Uh, now that that drop is, has happened, it is very easy for Americans to sneak over from, say, I don't know, Seattle. I'm not saying I know anybody, but uh, <laughs> drive over the border, buy a bunch of lenses for you know 20 to 30% less, and then come back to the United States and sell those significantly lower than the competition. Mitch, what do you think about this price manipulation and Canon kind of bringing the prices up to match other countries? Well, it totally depends upon what side of the uh, the game you're on, doesn't it? And and first of all, I'm angry because nobody told me about this. Really? Um, <laughs> okay, so I think I know everything that's going on on planet Earth, but obviously I don't, right? So, and it appears that Many people in the United States have been not only just driving across, but just flat out having them shipped to their house, no matter what part of the country you're in, because of that 20, I mean, a 20% discount, let's, let's get real. That's pretty important, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and I found it interesting uh, perusing the Canon Rumors thread that we, you found this, uh, that one of the people said, well, we Canadians aren't too happy about it either. Uh, but you know, this, this Canon minimum advertised pricing has has been a pain in the butt gets for many, uh, vendors who would like to sell at a, a bigger discount to make more sales, but they just can't do it because Canon's throwing their weight around on that. Well, that's the thing though. So they'll, they'll put the stomp down on Canada, but what about some of the Asian countries that uh, sell sort of gray market on eBay? You know, those currency manipulations there end up giving you prices that are two to $300 cheaper than what retailers like B&H and Adorama can sell their products for. Yeah. Uh, it just depends upon whether or not you're willing to go after the gray market lenses or not, right? Or camera bodies or whatever you're after. Um there are pluses and minuses to doing gray market anything. Now, I have a question for you, Mitch. Yeah. Have you ever bought any gray market products? Me, personally, no. Not that I'm aware of. So I'm guilty myself of yeah. several gray market purchases as a frugal, I don't know, maybe you should say cheapskate. Um <laughs> And the only issue I've run into, and this is pretty common from what I understand, is that a lot of the bodies, or if you buy the classic uh, 24 to 105 F4, yeah. are from package deals. So those those sold on eBay will come in either just a white plain box if it's the lens, or it'll come in the body box that has room for a lens with like a bunch of cardboard shoved in it. And right. they're basically like breaking apart Canon's base sale kit where it's you know your 5d body with your 24 to 105 and selling those both at discounted prices you have to sign for them many times and if you're not home to sign for them they only do three attempts and then it goes back home so you know just be aware that if you're not home or you're not some you're not someone who has someone at home to sign for you then it could be an issue buying one of these on ebay very true. And for those of you who are in Canada, you better get out and shop quickly because your prices are going up. Yeah, and I'm looking right now online. It looks like the Canadian dollar is 25% lower 
than the American dollar. So it might be a good time to go to vacation in Canada. (laughs) Vancouver is pretty close to me. Maybe I'll run over there and have a good time. Oh, you've got all kinds of money to do that. I don't know. I I wouldn't go there. Let's uh, back up a little bit, buddy. Sell some more stuff on eBay that you're not using. Actually, speaking of which, this is not in the show notes, but one thing I wanted to quickly talk about, I am seriously considering selling off a 5D body and my A7S to move to an A7S Mark II. Um, I recently was asked to uh, join a project where they want to shoot everything uh, in 4K, and they specifically asked that I have an A7S Mark II. That, that was actually a request from the client. And oh. I'm, they're paying, you know, I'm able to write in the cost of my A7S Mark II, and I would chuck two bodies that... I haven't been using as much to, you know, by themselves and I'd still keep my 6D. I don't know. You think that's a good idea, Mitch, or should I just make them pay for it and get yet another camera in the lineup? <laughs> it feels like that's too many cameras. Yeah. I, obviously I'm not in your body. <laughs> Bad pun. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, <clears throat> but unless you're using them, you might as well give them a new home to somebody that is dying to have a brand new cheap body because you know the canon 5d mark 4 is coming soon nudge nudge wink wink with 4k I, maybe I yeah um i'm just thinking about something that i'm not supposed to tell anybody sorry i was about to say it so <laughs> sorry um that, and that's not meant to be a tease i was just like oh no i shouldn't say that uh, speaking of bodies, and, and we didn't put this in the show notes, and I don't have a whole lot of details, but have you heard about people who are having trouble with the Nikon uh, D810? No, I haven't. Tell uh, me more. And, and the, problem, the problem is I've only seen a couple of tweets and stuff of people complaining about the uh, there's, there's uh, gunk showing up on the sensor again which is a, a fairly common problem Nikon seems to have every now and then. And I see you furiously typing with your keyboard, but I, and I, I should have looked this up before the show. So I apologize, but there's, it's there's, not coming up people. right, right away as I'm looking for it. I'm trying to find some image examples here. Anyway, huh. um, that's, that's a problem. That's a really Disconcerting. Usually Nikon's pretty good about uh, releasing a fully baked or mostly baked product every time. That's one of the things that's nice about Canon and Nikon is usually, at least when you get the body, it's going to work and do what you expect it to do. Like, I don't know, take pictures. (laughs) Yeah. um, I just, and I, again, I apologize. I should have, should have a link for you, but it's just, I saw Nikon users complaining about the D810 having some kind of difficulty. Now, you say that Nikon has uh, great products. I do recall several times they have, there have been problems with like little oil spots and stuff appearing on the sensor and I've forgotten which model that was. Oh yeah, I remember Uh, something about that. And there was also a controversy with uh, some sort of dead pixel issue a couple yeah. years ago, I think that was yeah. the uh, 800 series had a, a batch right. where you had to check your serial number to determine right. what the problem was. And 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 no vendor is totally immune from that. So let's, let's be <laughs> realistic. Uh, you know, uh, Black Magic still has 
black sun problems every now and then. So, all right, moving anyway, on down the yeah, line let's here, on. let's uh, talk about this story. Uh, B&H and Adorama both actually had a crazy deal back in November, and uh, people were really excited about this. This was the Panasonic 25 millimeter f17 lens and both sites had this for sale for 99 dollars, which is a very attractive price considering this lens usually runs between 200 and 250 dollars so half off the price uh, unfortunately it looks like bnh wasn't able to get enough to keep up with the demand and is not honoring all of the orders they're canceling them in fact because they don't have enough stock strangely adorama is going to honor those orders what I wanted to ask you, Mitch, is do you think they're going to take a loss on this to honor those orders? Or how are they getting the extra stock out of uh, this inventory? Uh, if they had a major big buy, maybe they got some kind of major discount. But, um, you know, with a certain controversy that's going on about B&H right now, maybe Adorama's trying to... Uh, build up some goodwill yeah maybe that's what's going on and i don't want to get into the bnh thing everybody can go look that up and because i just don't know enough about what's going on with the background of their treatment of their employees and so i don't want to make any comments because i don't know whether they're good people or bad people or you know if i go jumping on the bandwagon and just bash the hell out of them i don't know if it's true so you know people issues i don't like to talk about it so let's not go there. But maybe that's why. And I see Amazon. You said, I think you said it was a $200 lens. It's it's $245 on Amazon. Yeah, so it's jumped back up to 200 Yeah, about 250 So that's, uh, that's, that's a, a heck, heck of a, of a deal. Yeah. yeah. They're the, probably losing money on that. that. It was weird when I saw that, that hit. I was like, what is going on here? You know, there's got to be something. Like maybe this lens is just not that attractive or people aren't looking at it. But... You know, now that you're seeing that people are pulling back and saying, hey, we, we can't uh, actually take care of the number of orders. I always thought that places like B&H and Amazon and also, you know, Adorama and any of the other distributors out there uh, had a, a, an inventory limit. So if they sold more than they had in stock, they would simply put it out of stock. They wouldn't sell more than they have available. <laughs> and that's, so that seems really strange to me because in the past, if you... If you ordered something from B&H and it became out of stock, they would tell you immediately and it would show up on the site as like, we don't have enough inventory for this yet. Well, it uh, depends. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. Oh, go it, ahead. It, me interrupt you? Never. You have to, man. Otherwise, I'm a steam train just talking. Um, it depends upon how they do it. And I suspect that many companies have gone to what's called a just-in-time inventory system of uh, having worked at Boeing and there's my cash register sound, uh, you know, you, we, you learn about ways of having a, a certain minimum amount of stock that you keep in inventory, but then you, you get a good connection with your vendor. And if they can ship you a hundred units and have it arrive tomorrow, then you can go ahead and, you know, and leave your stock level as un unfixed. That's not the right first. <laughs> there goes my brain again. Uh, 
undetermined maybe is a better word. And therefore you just keep selling and you are making the assumption that you can get a quick delivery of those products. And therefore you don't have that problem of saying, well, I can't ship something to you. And maybe that's what they did was they just took a whole bunch of orders and then suddenly realized they were going to lose their shirts and went, sorry, time out. So I think that's probably how B&H is doing it these days with a just-in-time kind of ordering process. Is that a method to avoid inventory tax? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it saves a lot of money, not only in warehousing, because they don't have to have a extra space. They don't have to have you know upfront costs of spending a lot of money that... I mean, that's one of the ways Amazon makes all their money is... <laughs> They're like very much in tune to just in time. And, and if they need more stock, the vendors better be able to deliver it quickly or they're not on Amazon's good list. Yeah. So that's a it's really lucky if you ordered from uh, Adorama. It's unlucky yeah. if you ordered from B&H. Still, uh, that was in November and stock is just starting to go out for those. So even if you got that great deal, you've been waiting on your lens for. Uh, more than four months now. So were those pre-orders though? I is believe that... they. It was all pre-order. That's correct. So, so, so in that case, especially there is no inventory to put a limit on, right? That's true. You, they're expecting it to be delivered later. So There's I also another question. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I Canon guy. I'm a Canon guy. Okay, da ding, Canon okay. guy. Uh, Canon doesn't have any f 1.7 lenses. That's kind of an unusual number for those of us, at least that I know of. I don't remember ever seeing a Canon F, F1.7. They do F1.8 or 1.4 or 1.2. Um, but apparently there are a lot of F1.7 lenses out there on the planet. What's the big difference between 1.7 and 1.8? Uh, not a lot. Uh, <laughs> especially in Micro Four Thirds, if you figure F1.7, uh, that's... And I'm going to, somebody's going to call me on this. I'll get it wrong, Matt, but I think it's Matt like F2, 8-ish, F... Uh, is it, it really that? Yeah, that's what it's that equivalent to it, as far as depth of field in right. uh, in Micro Four Thirds. So you still get like a good shallow depth of field, but it's like shooting on a zoom as opposed to on a prime. But you right. still get the same amount of light, F1.7 versus F1.8. I don't remember, you know, I'd have to go look it up to find out what the, the amount of light difference is, you know, like the tenth fractional. of a, a fractional stop yeah. between those two. Yeah. Uh, and I actually, honestly, now that you asked that, I have a bunch of F1.7 lenses. No idea why it's F1.7 versus F1.8. You know, what? What, what that makes... DJ? Yeah, hey. Yeah, I've stumped you on a lens question? Well, and I that's the weird thing. So I have some uh, Olympus lenses that are F1.7, and then I have uh, basically similar, very similar lenses that are F1.8 from Panasonic, and they're in the so same focal range and everything. And it's like maybe they changed the coating or reduced some element to a smaller size or were able to magnify just a little, get a little bit more to knock that up to F17 versus F18. And huh. even though it doesn't make it very much difference in terms of filmmaking, uh I still am like I want the one with the smaller aperture. So yeah. then you end up like maybe that's a marketing thing, I don't know. Honestly. But it's, it's they've won with me cuz I'm like I want the the widest aperture possible. F17 is that's smaller number than F18. Give me that one. I want that one. <laughs> 
All right. Speaking of lighter and smaller, let's talk about some hard drives here. We <laughs> have filled hard drives up with helium, and that helium, I don't think it actually makes it much lighter, noticeably lighter, but what it does do is it reduces the friction on the disk spinning inside of the drive. This is enabled companies like Western Digital and Seagate to create uh, eight terabyte drives that are capable of running at our standard 7200 RPM. It also reduces heat because there's less uh, friction from turbulence inside of the drives. These drives also are better for, uh, I would say, dirty environments because they don't breathe any oxygen from the air. They are completely 100% sealed. These drives wow are going to be hitting the consumer markets and previously were only available in the server fields. It uh, looks like we're going to be spending roughly $300 for the first iterations. Uh, that'll be in the digital MyBook, Western Digital MyBook series, which are their external hard drives. And then they should be trickling down later on to desktop usage. Seagate already does have a 8-terabyte drive out, but I believe it's a 50 two or 5400 rpm drive so a little slower access all these have 128 meg cache and all of the storage mitch what do you think about eight terabyte drives replace four or three drives with a single drive that's pretty dang crazy bud that's a lot of storage i know i was eyeballing this robo and smoke it well right now i'm and i was just looking at this i'm like (laughs) man i have four four terabyte drives sitting right next to me in a little server array to, you know, for photo and video storage, a quick backup and access before it goes to the server. That's, you know, that's taking out four items and putting in two in order to get the same amount of storage space. Access probably won't be as fast because, you know, I'll just put them in RAID 1 instead of RAID 0, so you're relying on the speed of a single drive. But uh, that's still really nice. And heat, you know... If you have a tower full of two terabyte or one terabyte drives and you could put in two eight terabyte drives, it's a lot less heat generated than all those spinning disks running around. You gonna buy one? No. No. I don't I don't have a need for it. I do have uh uh <clears throat> gosh, our throats are both having trouble today. Yeah, I'm still sick. I I'm sorry. Um I do and by the way, uh speaking of lenses, I love <laughs> the look of your new lens today. This is very, very sexy and and great bokeh in the background and and for those of you who are listening on audio you're just missing out yeah this uh the lens i'm using right now is actually the panasonic 15 millimeter f17 really like this lens uh it really has good contrast and color reproduction all around it's a great lens it's one of those ones that's overlooked because it's it's a little more expensive it's like 450 or so compared to some of the cheaper F2 options that are in the $250, $300 range. But it's worth uh, spending the extra money on. Plus, the manual aperture ring on there is Ooh. nice and clicky, where you don't get that with all of your Micro Four Thirds options out on the market. Glad it looks nice. <laughs> anyway, so I do have uh, a couple of the uh, Western Digital My Book kind of my cloud things. I have a my cloud out in the other room that my family uses. Um, so yeah, there you go. You got There's... a four terabyte one right here that I send files back and forth to other states and countries when needed. Uh, you know, not too long ago, speaking of drives, um, oh crap. see, this is what happens when you're not totally prepared. 
Uh, I got an email from, um, I've forgotten which service it is. It's not Dropbox, but it's one of the services that uses a boatload of hard drives. And every quarter they send out their uh, details about which drives failed and which ones didn't. And I, I meant to dive into that email. And I, you just reminded me that that came like yesterday or the day before. Uh, tech, Find out. Tech Radar, if you uh, haven't checked that out, they've got some really good publications on a drive failure and drive failure rates. Uh, I think Seagate right now is one of the the leading red flags out there. Uh, Western Digital's red and and blue series do pretty well from what I understand. Uh, even the green series does pretty good. And then HGST, I think, is the uh, the other brand that has good numbers. Who? Uh, H, HGST, I believe it's a... Divisiary, uh, sub of Western Digital, like one of their like sister companies, or I might be lying uh -huh. to you on that one, but uh, they uh -huh. make hard drives. Uh, it used to be part of Hitachi uh, Desk Star series, and uh, then they broke off to HGST, or maybe HGTS. I don't know. Uh, those drives, <laughs> I have a couple of them because they're usually on sale, usually cheap, and you can get them as a bare bones drive with no accessories in just a little Ziploc static baggie. And uh, you'll save 15 to 20 bucks. Uh, pretty good. Haven't had any trouble with them in general. I don't have a lot of drive failures and the ones that I do do happen to be Seagate. So I guess uh, there you go. Uh, especially the zero 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 nine dash one series, uh, that particular flavor of three terabyte uh, drive really gives me a headache when you put it into a raid configuration. It, it shuts down and goes into sleep mode and doesn't come back. So if you oh. have those, be careful where you use them. They're great in desktops, but not so good in any other application. Now, speaking of large hard drive arrays, you need large hard drive arrays if you are using a security camera system. And Sony has decided to jump in the security camera system with an A7S security camera that will set you back around $7,500. Now, as you probably know, the A7S can see in the dark, and it's also capable of shooting 4K. They've decided to shove that sensor into this very expensive body, and you can see that they've got a 35mm f1.4 Zeiss lens on there. Uh, is this a sitting target for thieves uh, at airports and other places where security cameras are installed, or do you think this will be a boon for low-light, high-resolution views of larger areas? Um, dang, I I wish I could you remember all of these product names. Do you remember Canon put out uh, a super-duper security camera thing a couple of months ago? Yeah, that, that was like $10,000. Well, right? they had two flavors of it. I don't think it was meant exactly for security. I think they were intending right. it for like out at night wildlife right. and video, and it was able oh, to yeah. shoot 1080p. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I want to say it was like the CN1 or something like that, but uh, I don't know. I, see, see, I was putting in XC10. I don't, I can't remember. God, these damn product names. It's anyway, a, the square box it is, yeah. I've got it right here. It's the ME20. Right. F dash SH. It's a twenty thousand dollar camera. Still so, twenty thousand. Yeah, oh. twenty thousand dollars. 
and it is a 1080p square camera. If you're not familiar with it, here it is right here for your viewing pleasure. Uh, this camera is extremely expensive, has a full frame sensor, and is capable of going to ungodly ISO levels. You do have to provide your own power, no batteries. It does have the basic power inputs, including just a regular terminal plug for DC, and the controls all need to be done remotely. Uh, but it does capture all of the light. This might even vest Sony's Ace. It probably does, actually. I would say it definitely vests Sony A7S offering because the uh, pixel sights are so large on this guy. It's only right. a 2.26 megapixel sensor to capture 1080p on this. So that's full frame stretched out. I mean, you're probably talking photo sites of like 16 or 18 uh, micrometers or micro, mi not meters, mic milli uh, not, uh, not millimeters, micro millimeters. There we go. Uh, so that's pretty intense. This is, this is just a lot of money. That's, that's all I got to say. Well, it is, and, and it is crazy, right? Um, so, so the Sony 4K one, so first of all, I guess the only reason for having 4K is the ability to do the the zoom, right? I well, mean, or multiple you crops. Uh, you could do right. maybe four or five 720p feeds from a single 4K feed and uh, bring all those back to different windows but, so you could closely monitor each of those sections in the 4K stream? I guess that's what they're demonstrating here, isn't it? Um, okay, sounds great. Uh, <laughs> this, this one does come with a lens on it, so that beats the hell out of the Canon $20,000 model. Um, 12 megapixel sensor, so you don't care how big the megapixels are because you're doing video, right? Absolutely. I'm going to go buy one of these. All right, sign, sign me up, Mitch. Buy one for me and send it my direction. I, I, you know, I am constantly in my backyard. My, I have a, a sensor, a light that has a motion detector, right? So it's constantly going off, and I'm always worried that there's some burglar. So if I have the $7,500 Sony, I can really keep an eye on my backyard. The ultimate trail cam? <laughs> yeah. I'm joking, of course. No, I don't need this. But it's uh, interesting that there's a big enough market that both Canon and Sony are diving in here. You know, we make fun of it because we're filmmakers and we're like, there. We have no need for this camera. But there's obviously a market that is is def definitely needed because otherwise they wouldn't be going into it. Well, and one of the things that's actually interesting about this is the design. I'm not necessarily excited per se about having a security camera that's capable of this, but I do actually like the modular build of this and being able to maybe stack and build a camera from a box like this. You know, that's the, that was the original red dream was like you buy a brain and then you connect a bunch of other stuff to it. If you need it, if you don't, you don't, I would love to see a design like this with uh, some sort of, you know, adapter piece or uh, electronic connector on the back where you're able to you know add different modules maybe you don't want electronic viewfinder maybe you want a screen on the side maybe you want something else if they made this as a lego block a seven thousand is still expensive but uh that makes it a lot more attractive for all kinds of applications like uh motorized gimbals and so on 
and in the fact that this has a built-in lens, right? Um, unfortunately, this no, it's interchangeable lens, so Is you it? can. It's just a full frame sensor in a box, and you can yank the lens off and put on whatever you want. I see. Well, but that I mean, if they sold it just as a body, well, it does say lens sold separately on this uh, website that can that in uh, gadget links to anyway. Interesting. I, I I agree with you. The modularity side of it looks it almost looks kind of like a red turned on its side. Yeah, when I first saw it, I was like, wait a minute, is Sony trying to make an Airy competitor? Because yeah. it looks very similar to the the format of the carbon fiber Airy. Uh, all right, moving on down the line here. This okay. is actually something I'm kind of excited about, as opposed to just a goofball story. This is the Sigma MC11. Now, if you're not familiar with uh, the Sony uh, E-mount full-frame lineup, it's pretty sparse. Uh, there's not a lot of great stuff in there. People will definitely jump in and argue with me and say that the 55-1.8 is the best lens they ever bought, and it's pretty good. You know, and there's some other selections in there, but uh, up until recently, they haven't really been focusing on anything with f2.8 for their zooms and not a lot of great primes. Sigma has moved in with this adapter, which allows 100% AF control on a Sony body with any of Sigma's primes currently listed, I should uh, put that caveat in there, which includes the 24mm f1.4, the 35mm f1.4, the 50mm f1.4, and that crazy 24 to 35mm f2 zoom lens. That's a pretty decent selection, and you don't just get contrast autofocus, you also get the... Uh, a dual pic, not the I can't say dual pixel AF because that's <laughs> proprietary to Canon. But you get the other phase detection autofocus system with this adapter. Now on the downside, no Canon support, but it right. does take Canon mount or Sigma mount lenses. I haven't seen a lot of Sigma mount lenses floating around to be honest. But what do you think about this MC11 adapter, Mitch? Is this uh, gonna sell a lot of Sigma lenses? It is. It's going to sell a lot of Sigma lenses and it's going to make many of the Sony people very happy because they want to be able to have extra lenses. Um, you and I have both played with the Metabones adapter and, and bless their hearts, you know, they're trying. Uh, but when I had uh, Canon lens and EF lens on the Metabones adapter with the Sony A7S, it was not fun doing autofocus, not fun at all, and, and totally put me off. Uh, so any kind of adapter that gives you direct access to a, a superb autofocus system is very appealing, and the price is right. It's only 249 bucks. Yeah, it is very um, attractive. Not to mention the price of Sigma Primes, and they're arguably very good primes. You can get the 35 millimeter f1.4 for like 750 bucks yeah that's uh awesome what's a canon 130 or a 35 millimeter f1.4 run you 1200 1300 dollars yeah. so and, and <laughs> i mean that's embarrassing that's, yeah when you when you keep talking about all these great lenses and and like the one you're using now that's 400 dollars or 500 dollars, and i'm i'm thinking canon pricing for i was just looking at the um, 100 to 400 and it's like $2,200 or something and I'm like oh man I can't afford that sucker 
uh, you know, because I'm going to this color guard or this uh, drum line thing this weekend, and I'd be up in the stands, and I'd like, really like to have a good zoom. Uh, I, the 70 to 200 is really awesome, but spending money on lenses, is the really expensive ones drives me bonkers. Anyway, what lens are you holding up there, sir? Uh, right here is the 40 to 150 millimeter uh, f2.8 for micro four thirds, which means it is an 80 to 300 f2.8 on a micro four thirds body and with a 1.4 adapter you're getting into i think the maximum range is 420 for reach price will only set you back about a thousand dollars nice and that's where you know not to dive away from the the sigma thing because i'm excited about that but that's where micro four thirds really is attractive you can buy an entire set of, of very decent primes for your micro four thirds body and it'll cost you about the same price as a single L series lens. Yeah. Plus your reach is crazy with something like this, especially if you're shooting in daylight where low light isn't a huge issue. Ooh, sexy. <laughs> Although no IS on this, so that is unfortunate. They plan for you to shoot with an Olympus body, which has in body image stabilization. Now, which rocks, right? Yeah, well, it's a little rough at uh, a 300 millimeter equivalent well, focal right. length, but uh, yeah. that's another story altogether. Back yeah. to the MC11, this thing will open up the opportunity to use at least three great primes. That wacky zoom, it's only $249. Now, what I kind of wanted to compare and sort of talk about is the fact that the primes that are available, like the Sony 55 millimeter. F1.8 is that's an $800 lens. Now, Sigma's offering of the same 50 millimeter focal length at F1.4 is going to set you back about $700 to $600, depending on if you buy that uh, gray market or American. Now, Canada. Yep, or Canada, 25% off. <laughs> Tell April 1st that discount goes away. So act now, folks. Uh, but what, what do you think about that? How is Sigma able to create such good good glass and undercut Sony and Canon and, and some of these other companies? Is it just they're marking down the prices? Or do you think they have some sort of uh, uh, design that makes it less expensive to build? I would probably think that it's a combination of, of both of those things. Um, you, when pricing things, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I could go on a long, long tangent about pricing. Uh, but we all know that we've talked about this before, that Canon makes a good deal of money on their lenses, but they're really high quality lenses. So you're getting what you pay for. And if you can... It manufacture something, <coughs> say Canon lenses, and I don't, you know, it, it's totally dependent on the specific lens and, and the manufacturing process. But say, say Sigma is able to do a very similar quality lens and do it all with machinery. And maybe in Canon's case, and I, again, we could pitch this into a whole bunch of pixel peeping, but maybe in Canon's case, they part of the process is done with humans. Humans cost more than machines, right? Okay. So, you know, it, it all depends upon the manufacturing process, uh, quality of, you know, the, the uh, materials that's going into that. Maybe they have just slightly cheaper uh, glass, 
you know, there's all kinds of factors that could be put in there. So we don't we don't specifically know. The question is, does it look just as good as a different manufacturer uh, to you as the the end user? And if so, then the price doesn't matter, right? Honestly, I um, would say the right, the look of the lens is pretty good, right? Um, but the bokeh is where people have kind of got up in arms. You know, it's weird, but what I think is the difference in price between Canon glass and Sigma and both Tamron is actually in the way they attach their glass elements to the body. If you ever see a teardown of a Canon lens, they generally have this ring with like a compression on it and it's metal and it attaches to different portions of the body. If you look at the teardowns of Tamron and Sigma lenses, they use an industrial glue. Yeah. And the glue, I think, is what makes it more affordable to manufacture because, like you said, that can be done by machine, whereas the other one's a tedious hand process that needs to be done in a certain manner. And that also, uh, one of the early problems with the Tamron 24 to 70 millimeter uh, f2.8 VC lens was that under very harsh conditions, the front element would fall out. Yikes. And uh, or come loose at least, and it was simply uh, g- uh, glue curing time right. that right. was the issue. So that's where my random, probably unfounded guess is to why the pricing is so good. Anyhow, if you're a Sony A7S shooter and you want to get into some primes from another manufacturer with good AF, go check out the videos linked in the show notes. They are very encouraging of this particular adapter. And AF in video mode also looks very good. Uh, From what I'm told in the A7 Mark II line of cameras, the face following is very, very good for handheld shooting. So something to think about if you're maybe shooting a music video on a low budget and you don't have someone to pull focus for you or something like that. Yeah. Now, moving on, we've kind of, I think every week we've had a wireless story and this is yet another one. Let's talk about the Monoprice Wi-Fi lavalier kit. Now, I've talked about this in the past and before I wasn't extremely excited about it. It was originally priced at $99. At $99, the audio quality is okay. Uh, The microphone is not amazing, but it's not horrible. Uh, distance, you know, isn't that amazing either. But here's the thing. They dropped the price to $49. Now, at $49, I would say this kit, which I'm holding up right here, is a freaking steal. Uh, The microphone, and one of the complaints I have, actually, is they use, for whatever reason, it might be cheaper, I don't know, but this is a TRRS uh, sleeve as opposed to a TRS sleeve. So it's the same thing that you'd use on your cell phone, which makes this unit compatible with the, the Rode cell phone microphone lav kit that's out there on Amazon, eBay, whatever. Uh, and you can plug it directly into here. But this microphone isn't compatible with pretty much anything else. So you, if you have any other lav mics that are TRS, you have to use an adapter. So that was one issue. Another weird issue about this thing is actually that it puts out a very strong signal. So you have to be very careful about lav placement and you need to make sure that you turn the input volume on your camera all the way down. 
Now, with those two caveats in mind, and one more caveat is that Uh-oh. I wouldn't go more than 50 feet away. It's still a heck of a bargain at $49. That's damn cheap. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really cheap. affordable. And, on, and it comes with the lav mic. Yeah, it comes with the lav mic. Oh, and there is one weird thing that this is useful for, and the, one of the reasons I bought it, actually, is it has a talkback channel. What? Yeah, so on the receiver side... There is a microphone slash headphone input. So you it's another TRRS input, and you can actually talk on this back to an earpiece that's capable of being plugged into this guy, which is the transmitter. So where I use this is I had a couple of, of very rigid um I don't want to I don't think they were CEOs, but they were definitely part of some part of the finance department that needed to talk on camera. And <laughs> so we would read their lines to them. Uh, via the mic on my on my shirt, and then they would repeat them wow. on the other end, and it was able to basically it was I was able to feed them all of the things that they needed to say in order to get it recorded, and that's all I actually used it for. I used a regular lav kit to record their audio because I, I wasn't <laughs> super excited about the audio on this, but being able to send it that way was really really handy. Now at forty nine dollars. I would say if you are filmmaking or if you're a filmmaker, if you're on a really low budget, you can't go wrong with this. That's it's going to be way better than any audio on camera you're going to get. It's going to be better than having a mic attached to your camera away from your subject. And while I complain about the distance you're able to go with this, how often do you film someone talking at a distance further than 20 feet? Yeah, yeah. Not very often. Exactly. And I would argue that in many cases, you're going to be within 10 feet of your subject or closer, depending on what you're filming. So with that in mind, if you are a low budget filmmaker, I mean, I don't get any kickbacks on this thing. I'm not trying to, you know, that's just a straight link to Monoprice because there's no affiliate program there. This is a pretty good deal. What do you think, Mitch? So, so what's, I mean, you obviously have to have two, right? So Okay, so transmitter, receiver. The receiver comes with a cold chew adapter. The mic goes into the transmitter, but you know how Rode and some of these other companies use two-channel diversity for their Wi-Fi transmission? This does not. It takes that other channel and uses it as a return channel back to the other device. Oh. So so it's, it's... It's forty nine dollars for each piece, right? No, it's forty nine dollars for the whole kit. <laughs> what? See, that's where I'm. I'm like going. There's got to be a catch here. No, and actually, spend... what's weird is uh, there's another company called uh, Movo M O V O that uh, sells a rebranded version of the Monoprice units, which is it, they are exactly the same, only with Movo written on the front instead of Monoprice, and they sell for a hundred dollars. <laughs> Forty nine ninety nine for both pieces. Yeah, and a lav mic, and a lav mic, and a earpiece monitoring, and a cold shoe adapter. I feel like I'm on the Home Shopping Network here. It's like, <laughs> wait, folks, there's more. There's a there's cable more. that connects to this that hooks it into your thing. You know, it's. I couldn't believe it when I saw the forty nine dollar price tag. I'm, I posted an article on DSLRFilmNoob.com. Go check that out. But it's like seriously, uh, this is. There's a lot of complaints about this, but. There's you. There's VHF units out there that are selling for 150 to 200 dollars that don't have the audio quality that this has. 
Right. And, you know, normally I'd say VHF would be more reliable, but honestly, uh, Wi-Fi, as long as you're not in a crazy dense environment, obviously I wouldn't recommend taking this to a huge NAB. convention floor, NAB, <laughs> uh, you know, if, if you're next to a school that has like 67 Wi-Fi hotspots throughout the school, don't do that. But, you know, in a regular neighborhood, a regular city setting, so on, you know, you can't really go wrong for that price. And yeah. at 10 feet... Other Wi-Fi signals don't really give you any trouble because you're just so close to the source. Uh, and that's where at 20 feet, it's a little bit less reliable. But man, $49. That's, that's astounding. So be sure to check that out. Uh, again, I don't get any kickbacks on that. I, so that is all just enthusiasm from me personally. <laughs> uh, no, that never happens out of you. No, oh, man, never. when I get excited about something, I'm just like... Phew. You gotta buy this. Ah. This is the greatest thing ever. No, and actually, if you do have money to invest, uh, definitely check out the other options that are in the two hundred dollar mark because uh, there are a lot of good wireless systems available for like two forty nine ish to three hundred dollars. Uh, we've got that Ceramonic unit that's two forty nine that I talked about the right. UW Mic Ten system. Uh, we've also got. The uh, Asden uh, System 10 setup, or excuse me, Audio Technica System 10, the Asden XD Pro. Now, those are they're more expensive, but they will provide you better audio quality. But if you just, you know, you don't have any money at all, or you have very little money, $50 is very good, good, good price for well, a wireless yeah. kit. And And there's always the option of, Having a good system, you know, I think the road stuff is three forty nine, so it's still sort of in that price range, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but let's say you've got one really nice kit, but you need a couple of extra mics at some point for a special situation, or you want to just have a backup system to just cover your butt kiss if you need something, and you don't want to spend another. $200, $300 on those for $49. Just buy one or two of them for backups. Hell. Yeah, at that price, man. So I mean, affordable. All right. So anyway. Let's move on to a thing that could help you further your filmmaking career. Let's talk about the Road Reel. It's back as of 2016. I've got a link straight to plan5d.com because that's where I noticed that the Road Reel is back. Mitch, oh. tell me. A little bit about the road reel. The road reel is the world's largest um, contest, <coughs> according to Road. I don't, I've never looked that up. I didn't go doing a big search and saying, "Hey," but they're they're offering three hundred thousand dollars in prizes. Wow! Let me say that again: three hundred thousand dollars in prizes. That's a boatload of stuff to win and they got a boatload of categories that you can enter um i i know that they've had a lot of people sending in stuff uh, i'm not one of the judges although i have judged similar things in the past and and the volume of submissions has just got to be crazy uh shane hurlbutt is the lead uh guy Philip Bloom's on there. Rodney Charters is 
as one of the judges. And you got to realize, by the way, for those of you who don't know, um, there's they they pre-select a whole bunch of the best ones and then feed those to the prime judges. So it's not like Shane Hurlbut is watching every video that comes through because that would be insane. Uh, but the, the sheer number of prizes, and if you go to their website, uh, see the, the number of different vendors that have contributed stuff. There's music, there's rigs, there's microphones, of course, uh, all kinds of stuff you can win. So go check that out. You can come to planet5d.com and, and read up on that, or you can just go to my road. Re re easy for me to say, myroadreel.com and and learn more about that uh submission started uh march 1st and i think you have till may 1st to get those in to get time to crank something out now while we're talking about uh film contests there are a few really small ones out there that are put on by camera companies as well like uh aperture uh has one as well as uh i believe yeah, they have one that pops up every few years that's uh i think it's like 2000 or 3000 dollars it's not a huge uh, prize, but uh, keep an eye out for those smaller ones. Uh, sometimes they get very few submissions if they're off the radar, and these big ones are the ones that are hard to to really break through on because there's right. a ton of really stiff competition. Right. But the smaller ones where there's uh, fewer submissions, it's a lot easier to crack the nut, so to speak, <laughs> uh, get into the meaty center and maybe get your stuff. Uh, honored or viewed or what have you. So uh, same story with festivals, actually. If you're ever trying to submit your short film or feature-length film, it's easier to get those little, uh, you know, selection of whatever festival things if you send them to the the Nickel and Dime festivals as opposed to, you know, Sundance, because, you know, you, you go to the expensive ones, and not only yeah. is your submission fee going to be high, it's also unlikely that you will beat the <laughs> indie slash sponsored by Sony competition. I'm just yeah. putting that out there. All right. Speaking of. Yes. Giveaways and prizes and stuff. If I can plug planet5d.com. If you go to planet5d.com slash giveaway. Uh, and that is our pretty much traditional URL. So you can pretty much go there anytime. We don't always have a giveaway going. But right now, through the end of the day on Tuesday or Wednesday, I've forgotten exactly, the 9th, I believe, of March, we're currently giving away uh, some uh, Genie motion control gear from Syrup. And I still don't really know whether it's Syrup, S-Y-R-P, or Syrup, as in the kind of stuff you put on your pancakes, because there's no U in it. But anyway, I don't know how they pronounce it, you know. You know, you and I have a lot of fun trying to pronounce things. But anyway, uh, there are three different units you can win if you go to planfid.com slash giveaway. So that's my little plug. And that's only good through next Wednesday. But we will also be having another giveaway starting almost immediately after that for the end of March from Look Labs. So if you're interested in some grading and film look kind of stuff we'll have that coming up shortly and we're going to actually give away some road stuff in may so more good stuff coming down the pipe from planet5d.com 
Now, I just looked it up to because I wanted to make sure I wasn't full of crap when I mentioned Aperture as their <laughs> sale, or, you know, as their uh, contest. And they do, in fact, have a contest running right now. Uh, first prize, second prize, and third prize looks like it's about uh, $3,000, $4,000 worth of kit and so on. And uh, also some free passes to a few events. Not sure oh. why their website does this weird jumble thing. Yeah. I love the what do they call that uh, snowfall no, i don't love it all right anyway uh <laughs> yeah they do have, i put a link in the show notes it's a three thousand dollar top pr- uh, cash prize plus a, a exhibition at uh, a gallery in new york and a few other things so keep an eye out for those they've been doing that actually for quite a few years so uh not a sponsor again but uh it's a lot easier to win that three thousand dollar prize than it is to win the three hundred thousand dollar prize yes and uh also put a link to uh mitch's uh, giveaways on planet 5d there in the show notes last thing i wanted to cover before we get out of here is actually the tamaron 85 millimeter f18 this is a lens we talked about previously and we were unsure of pricing turns out we've got a price now on this guy looks like it's going to be 749 dollars now, the difference between this and a standard F1.8 85mm lens from other manufacturers is that Tamron is including uh, VC, which is their flavor of image stabilization. Still, that seems a little bit on the high side for price. Mitch, what do you think about 749 compared to the competition? That's a pretty appealing price. Uh, there's, I think I paid for the... Um, eighty-five one eight. I think it was six or seven hundred dollars on Canon. Really? I don't remember. Maybe I'm wrong. I want to but... say the Canon eighty-five one eight is more in the like three hundred dollar range. I'm waiting for you to look it up. Oh, yep. Uh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I did look it up, and it is exactly. Hold on, three hundred and sixty-nine dollars. So, okay, so I was I'm close. Wrong. Gosh, what a shock! I'm wrong. Uh, so this is, this is a little bit more expensive than that. Yeah. And they are adding VC, which is really good. I was just a little disappointed because the rest of their line is sitting at about five ninety nine, which is really attractive. A seven ninety nine or seven forty nine. that's pushing up to where, you know, you might want to go with an 85, yeah. one four instead of a one eight in that range. With full-frame sensors, the difference between F1.8 and F1.4 makes a little bit more of a difference. And then, of course, the legendary F1.2, which will jump you up into the $1,800 range. That's the one I want, baby. That's the one I want. You know, the the Canon 85 F1.8, I got nothing but complaints about that lens. I have one, like I said. And by the way, it doesn't have IS on it. So this. Do you have the original or do you have Mark II? Uh, I think I have the Mark II. How is your autofocus? Because mine was awful. It's horrible. It's not very good. I mean, it it's it works. Okay, so I get good focus, but it's slow. It's very slow. I, and it seems to hunt. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm taking that with me this weekend, and I'm going to be using it because my daughter had it for the longest time up at college, but. Um, I, I use it and I like the look of it, but it is a little frustrating. Now, have you ever been nervous about the glass that goes right up to the edge of the flange when you're putting it on your camera? 
No, I don't worry about that kind of stuff. Uh, first time I, I, I don't Go know, ahead. I, I gouged my first one, uh, not paying it because I kind of blindly shove my lenses onto my camera and, yeah. uh, you know, most of them are recessed by just a little bit. And the first thing I did was miff the end of the element when I was putting it on. And it actually, to be honest, it didn't make much of an effect. You That's, can't really see it in the photos. My question is, even if you do that, unless you just fracture it, uh, most of the time, any kind of a nick or, you know, I know people that are just really insane. They When they get their lenses out, they polish them and they make sure there's no dust. And then, I'm like, just put the damn thing on and shoot, will you? Yeah, but you know what it did to the resale value on that thing? Well, yeah, that's where you're worried is the resale value. Absolutely. I had it for probably a year and a half, and I just got tired of it. I, en I ended up going back to the 50 or 85 millimeter F1.8 because it's just that much snappier. And uh, when I went to resell it, I lost like $600 because of that gouge. And yeah. uh, I like it. I like F1.2 on 85, but... Man, the fly-by-wire system, the si it, it's a huge, monstrous lens. And then gorgeous, on top of that, it's, it? it's slow, but you're right. The images are gorgeous. Uh, you know, when you get a lens like that, you're like, lock it down at F1.2. I don't care uh -huh. what kind of ND we have to put on top of this. Uh, that's all I'm shooting, period. Let's do it. But I don't know. I, in the end, it, it wasn't for me. So that's one of the few L-series lenses I don't have in my collection anymore. <gasps> shocking shocking absolutely shocking i know it uh my kit is always it's like sad because you get all the way up to the top and then right between the 51.2 and the 135 f2 should be the 85.12 and instead it's the 85.18 and you're like what this, what's this little thing doing in here oh poor little thing you little guy oh. all right <laughs> i think that's pretty much it mitch unless you've got anything else uh there was something i was going to mention but maybe it was the giveaway maybe that's what it was all right well make sure you right. update that uh link there in the show notes for the planet 5d giveaway i've got a little spot for it just below, below the road reel there uh guys make sure you check out the show notes uh, mitch and i spend quite a bit of time working on these every week and it's got a lot of good information. Everything we talk about is in there. Lots of links to all the articles that we've covered here. And normally uh, you can find even more information than we talk about because I write questions and things that I'm wondering okay. about in there. Little bits and pieces. Uh, plus, I did manage to throw that Canova slider link that we talked about at the beginning of the show into the show notes. Also, I want to thank Mitch for always doing the time diligently for you YouTube watchers. That's the reason you can skip through different sections to find the stuff that you really love. Mitch, where can people find you? Hey, I'm at a website called planet5d.com sound effects. Planet5D. And uh, you can find me at planetmitch.com if you want to see some of my photos and stuff just for fun. And the giveaway link is plan5d.com slash giveaway. So it's really easy to remember, right? Absolutely. And of course, guys, you can find me at dslrfilmnoob.com. You can find me on Twitter at dslrfilmnoob. 
on YouTube, One Lone Dork Channel. That's some bad branding choices there. <laughs> and of course, this podcast is available anywhere podcasts are distributed, including SoundCloud Rate and it. iTunes. Rate it, Rate review it. it, and leave your review questions it. in the YouTube comment section because Rate I read those podcast. and try to respond. Also, there was one question about uh, audio handling in your timeline. Sorry, I wasn't able to figure that one out for you. Uh, pluralize. That can be a deal. So you know who you are. Sorry, man. Uh, on that <laughs> note, we will see you next time on another episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. <laughs>